20, the 15, the 10, he's got speed. He's going to the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. Dawson, out to Harris for a three ball. He got it. Kennedy looking, center shot. The Spartans are on their way to a win in the Rose Bowl. Completion. Live from Impact Studios, the only sports show from MSU campus. This is The Pack. And your host, Fino. Um, I know Makaija Reynolds was on the drive with Jack Ebling today at around 535 that was some great discussion um, with Makaija. So we'll kind of break down really uh, where all these players fall and how they'll be in the NFL. And that will take us around to the 740 Eastern Time Hour. And then for the last 20 minutes of the show, we will talk a little NHL playoffs. And yeah, playoffs, but it's a pretty interesting playoff so far. If you haven't been watching, you've been missing out. Boston's been playing great. Montreal's been playing pretty exceptional, but... Man, the Bruins are something else. Well, on that note, we'll bring in my two panelists. No Austin Goodman today. He is studying for a stats exam. So when he's doing box and whisker diagrams, we will be doing some sports talk. And I bring in Faith Krukalecki. Faith, how are you, dear? I'm wonderful. How are you doing, Fino? Not too bad. Not too bad. And our man, our producer, our Bruins fan behind the glass. If you cut this guy open, he might bleed yellow. It's Ludovizio. <laughs> How's it going, guys? Not too bad. And we welcome uh, our social media Guru, our stats guru as well, Jonathan Yales, he will be with us around to my left today. No Austin on my left. I needed someone there. We plugged John Yales. John, good to have you behind the mic today. Good to be out here this time. Right? Good to have you. So John Yales will be uh John Yales will be our guy for a little stat. So if we need a little fact checks, we'll go to John on my left. But that brings us right to our NFL draft debate. Now, if you want to call in and embrace the Spartan debate, you can feel free and do so. The number, is, as it always is, 517-432-3893 is our number. So Lou will be answering all our calls. we got Brooks down there behind the glass. So he might pick up the phone and say hello to hello to you. So if you hear a familiar vo- or unfamiliar voice um, on the phone, I promise you it's not John. It's Brooks. Um, so... So, guys, Faith, Lou, this NFL draft discussion I think is a joke for where the, how the Lions picked out. Um, Jack Epling's producer, Doug Warren, had a pretty strong opinion on it. Gave the Lions a C- in this NFL draft. I wouldn't be that harsh with the Lions, Faith. I think they picked around a C for me. I don't know what Mel Kuyper gave them, but it can't be too good. I believe it was a B- or something, but I don't think it was a B- draft. The Lions picked up a kicker, which I thought was unnecessary. They needed cornerbacks, they needed a secondary faith, and they picked one cornerback in this draft, and he's 5'9". Now, I'm not big on corners height. Now, you don't need a corner that's 6'2 or 6'3". You want to be able to move and be kind of versatile and fast and quick and kind of a scat um, versatility when you're analyzing a cornerback faith. But 5'9 for a corner, I think that's pretty short. I don't know about you. I mean, going along with grades, I guess I would probably pick a C as well for the Lions. I think they had a lot of needs, you know, going at at least for the first round. They had a lot of needs, and definitely a tight end wasn't one of them. So I don't think they started out too strong. And like you said, they did pick up a cornerback later on, Lawson. Um, I mean, they needed him, so hopefully they'll do some work there. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it, Faith. I don't think they really needed a tight end. And we'll talk about 
their corner selection in a second. But I didn't think the Lions needed a tight end. You know, you have, you know, Fourier, who's coming off a great year. You just re-signed Brandon Pettigrew to a four-year, $16 million deal. around that ballpark, if I can believe, Johnny. But you signed him to a four-year deal, and half the Lions fans were screaming bloody murder after this signing, Lou. I thought it was a terrible signing, but forget the fact that it was a terrible signing. They signed him. He can't really pass protect at all, let alone block, period. He's a terrible blocking tight end. But when you look at Brandon Pettigrew, he is what he is. You signed him, but now you sign and you give and you draft another weapon for Matthew Stafford. So to me, Eric Ebram is an interesting pick. And he's getting a lot of a lot of credit. Oh, this man can go and catch it. He was lights out at UNC. He's got great speed. He's tall. He's big. Yada, yada, yada. But to me, I'm not buying his speed. I, I mean, as a tight end, he ran a four, what, four, six, 40 time. So it wasn't outstanding. But for a first round pick, I thought it was a bit of a reach. Yeah, I, I'd say a 10 overall, you know, especially with, like you guys mentioned, you know, the, the Lions' needs were not quite in the offense. But. At the same time, you can tell how Detroit wants to go with this team, and that's offense. But and it, 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 you have to question it, though, at some point, because you need defense to win. And at this point, the Lions aren't a team that wants to go out and flat, be flashy. They need to start winning some football games. I honestly think they drafted to try to outscore other opponents rather than, like, you know. But how did that work out for the Broncos? Exactly. It, yeah. And you want to hear something crazy? I had no idea. Jack Ebling made me look this up on his show today. Unbelievable. The Lions' pass defense and overall defense was better than Denver's. Now, you would never realize that. Denver averaged around 355 yards per game. Detroit was around 346, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't apples and oranges at that point. But the point is, their defense is atrocious. They didn't address any of their defensive needs. And they were, as Doug Warren says, a day late and a dollar short. And you know what? The Lions... Really, to me, and I'm not a Detroit guy. I'm not a Michigan guy. I'm a Jersey kid um, going to Michigan State, obviously. So I haven't really dealt with the pain of the Lions, but this is brutal. This reminds me of Jets football. But you know what? Say what you want to say about the Jets. The Jets are at least intelligent enough to draft their needs. And the Lions didn't address what they needed. Period. They missed the boat. I think first round, they definitely should have looked towards probably a safety or cornerback. And if you if you look at who was still left when they come to the when it came to the tenth pick, I mean you still had top cornerbacks like Kyle Fuller, Darquez Denard, who's from MSU, and then you also had top safety Haha Clinton Dix. So I'm thinking, what is going on with what is going through the Lions' head right now? I don't know what's going through the Lions' head because according to Mike Mayock of NFL.com, Nevin Lawson, the cornerback out of Utah State that the Lions picked, he got a 4.8 out of 10 draft grade. The guy, okay, he's fast. I'll give you that. 4.48 40 time. So he's fast, but he's 5'9". He's 190 pounds. You know, his arm length, okay, 31 and a half. So he's got arm length. But the thing, for, for someone that's 5'9", you have arm length. But to me, a cornerback that is 5'9", I don't know. It seems like they're using him as some type of, some type of special teamer maybe with some speed. I'm not for the Nevin, uh, the Nevin Lawson pick, but... I don't know, Lou. It, to me, the Lions didn't address any of their needs. I get it. They picked some defense with Van Noy. Well, I think Van Noy with Ansaw on the same side of the line is going to be great. You put Van Noy right behind Ziggy Ansaw. I think that's going to be great. But still, the Lions' front seven is good. It's, it's good. It's amicable. But their secondary is bad. 
it's not a good secondary. And to me, when you're the Lions and you can go out and draft a Darquez Denard or someone else in your secondary, to me, I'm all over Darquez Denard. Or you can go out and get a Justin Gilbert. You have so many options, a plethora of options at defensive back. This draft was hailed for being one of the most, one of the best drafts in terms of depth that scouts have ever seen. So you have a plethora of depth in this draft, and the Lions don't address anything that they need serious help with. So I thought it was very alarming. Yeah, I think miss the boat is definitely a good classification. Uh, And, you know, I I mentioned the word flashy, and I think that's kind of, the more and more I think about this draft, looking back at the round-by-round for Detroit, that seems to be what they tried to do, you know. They addressed their most needed their most needed positions last in the draft. And unfortunately, their most needed positions are the ones that get the least amount of recognition as far as uh, fans go. But, you know, Detroit fans are pretty knowledgeable, and they understand what it takes to win football games. And I don't know if management wants to go the Denver route, you know, because Denver did so well. They were talking, I mean, football for the entire year. And even after the Super Bowl, they were, but for all the wrong reasons. And, you know, if you want to be the talk and you want to sell tickets – Go the offensive route, but if you want to win a Super Bowl, they got some they got some cleaning up. The only time really where offense legitimately won a championship, in my opinion, is really of notably is the best show on turf, the St. Louis Rams with Kurt Warner. That is really the against Tennessee that and Tennessee almost won that game. They were one yard short. So you can really understand that is really the only time that I can remember in in my lifetime that a great offense truly won a Super Bowl championship. And to me, the Lions already have a very good offense. They don't have a good defense, and the only way they're going to improve their defense is by drafting it with depth because they didn't go out and sign anyone because they made no cornerback acquisitions. So to me, Faith, okay, you go on and get a receiver, TJ Jones, and you draft him at a Notre Dame, who I think has the ability to be a surprise receiver, but you already go out. And get a Golden Tate. You bring a TJ Dones. You have a Brian Broyle, Ryan Broyles. So, to me, you got all these offensive weapons. You're bringing in Eric Ebron. You got Fourier. You know, you have Pettigrew. It's, they already have six, seven pass catchers that on this team. And I thought they missed it. You know, I, I'm just kind of... I'm just... I, I just don't know what to think with the contradiction of that Pettigrew signing and then this first-round pickup. You know, because either, either Pettigrew's your guy or he's not. And I think every Detroit fan, I mean, if, if, he's, if he is, you, you got, you're kind of crazy, but I'm pretty sure every Detroit fan does not want Brandon Pettigrew to be the tight end for the Detroit Lions. The you tr- know? And so picking up Ebron isn't the worst thing in the world. But the worst thing is signing him to that contract, four years, you know, money's money, it's whatever, if he, you dump him if we need to. But th- I, I just don't understand it. It's, it's just contradictory. I don't get it because unless the Lions are about to run a three tight end set in the NFL— it doesn't make any sense, and they're not going to do that. Yeah, maybe Caldwell's just going to break the mold there. Yeah, whatever gets Stafford to not throw an interception and blow a fourth-quarter lead, maybe. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. 517-432-3893 is their number. Feel free to call in and give your opinion on the Lions draft. What would you give the Lions in this NFL draft? What is it a C-? minus? Is it a Fino C? Faith, what have you given the Lions? I gave a C. You gave a C, too. Lou, what are you giving them? I'm around C, C+, plus, just because, you know, I mean, they did they addressed their needs, albeit later in the draft. They still addressed them. So I think maybe, you know, it, these guys could turn out to pan out. I'm not a, I'm not a pro They scout. might, you but know, you know. The guy's short. He's got arm length. He's quick. Maybe he is really, I mean, maybe he will do a great job. But they addressed their needs. I just don't think in the priorities that they needed to. 
Bro, I'm very curious, and I'm going to bring in our social media guru slash statistician, Jonathan Yales. Johnny, what do you think the Lions draft grade was? I'm going to go with a C, too. So everyone's saying C. Can we get anyone? I don't think you can ever. I mean, you couldn't even say that it was above average. There's no chance. Right, because you missed a boat on addressing any of your serious needs. I know what concerns me, though, is seeing how all the other teams in the division are excelling. Like, Chicago got Fuller, Green Bay got Clinton Dix, and those are, like, the biggest rivals against the Lions. Oh. And and here's the thing is they're excelling in Detroit's weakest spots. So how does that compare up to when they actually play? That's a very good point, you know, and that's a thing every sport needs to do. You have to look at your division rivals and even not your division rivals, just your rivals in general. But, I mean, the teams that you play twice a year, I mean, these are teams that you have to build your team to match up against. I 100% agree, Lou. Everyone in the division improved their secondary in any way, shape, or form. They improved it. Faith mentioned Clinton Dix, Fuller. The NFC North upgraded their secondary, period, except for the Lions. So when you add all these pass catchers, the only way to defuse a good offense, obviously, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this one out. You bolster your defense as the opponent to stop a great offense. And that's what everyone did in that division. Clinton Dixon, I think, is going to be a star. Absolutely. I think he's going to be great. And I think Fuller is going to be excellent as well. So everyone goes out and really improves in the NFC North. Those are my two favorite guys. But to me, and you're, if you're in the NFC North and you're the Lions after draft day, you're nervous. Because you didn't improve in any way, shape, or form. And I thought it was disappointing. And they missed the boat. And I look at all the other teams that did improve. Okay? And I'm not even talking. I'm talking outside of the NFC North. You look at uh, Cincinnati. And I know we're bringing up Darquez Denard. Cincinnati's got two aging corners. Terrence Newman. I think it's like 36 years old. And uh, Adam Pacman Jones. You have two older corners that are very experienced. Terrence Newman obviously had a great, um, great years with Dallas. But to me, you bring in Darquez Dunard, who I believe is going to be an all-pro. So you could go out and acquire or draft Darquez Dunard, who is going to, in my opinion, going to be an all-pro corner, and you miss him. And then I hear the reports, which are just blasphemy, that if the Lions, if Eric Ebron wasn't sitting at the Lions, is sitting on the Lions' lap at ten, they were willing to trade down. I would pay millions of dollars. To understand the logic from Martin Mayhew, what is the logic there? Yeah, I, I really don't know why they had their eyes set on Ebron. I mean, they were I understand. Dead set on him, bro. It, it, it really is kind of ridiculous, I, especially with the Pettigrew signing. Like I said, I just don't understand the contradiction. Well, I guess for me, I look at a lot of his stats, and I see Ebron doesn't block. He drops the ball. He dropped the ball out of the most, uh, you know, tight ends in the. In the draft, that's twelve percent. Twelve percent of the it's v- huge. yeah, that's the thing, and it's not like what? we're replacing Pettigrew with some guy who is just the complete opposite. I mean, he has the tools to be, I mean, obviously a tremendous tight end, but some of the some of his uh, weaknesses, I'd say, are the same as Pettigrew. You know, look, I'm once in a while he drops it. Not a good blocker. These are terrible qualities if you want to win. To me, the my favorite player picked out of the Lions draft was probably Kyle Van Noy out of BYU. Because I think Van Noy, a second-round selection, is sneaky because he was a teammate of Ziggy Ansah. And when they were on the same side of the ball, they were dominant. I think it was like that year uh, Van Noy had about like four and a half tackles per loss when uh, Ziggy and him were in the game together, just blitzing at the same time on the same side. So I thought that was very impressive. So, okay, you bring Kyle Van Noy in along with Ziggy Ansah to play with him. Look, your front seven is improved. 
if you want a tight end so badly, uh, there are a plethora of tight ends that are available. They Okay, they won't be an Eric Ebron, but I guarantee you Eric Ebron would not have been picked at 10. I Unless they knew something. I know other teams bluff. But seriously, if you were so dead set on picking Eric Ebron, trade down. Why would you pick him at 10? I thought they overslotted for a guy. But you know what? I could see the other side of the argument, Lou. Because at the same time, the NFL draft is all about getting someone that fits your needs. And for some reason, they thought that Eric Ebron fit a need. And if you have a guy sitting at your pick, go pick him. Yeah, go. but the thing is, that wasn't their need. And, you know, I want to talk about that's the front argument. seven a little bit. I don't bit. think it was, but a lot of people said it was their need, Lou. That, that's not their need. And it's pretty obvious, you know, it is the secondary. And it, it, I think anyone who has watched the Lions for an extended period of time kind of knows that. And, you know, I want to talk about the front seven. The front seven are only as deadly as the other team lets them to be. And what I mean by that is if Detroit, every time you play Detroit, every time a team plays Detroit, if they know they can destroy them with the pass, the front seven are not really going to be that much of a force. You know, they'll show up. Sue's always going to show up. Fairley's always going to show up. Mm -hmm. But if you can exploit the pass game so much like they can, everyone can against Detroit, they're not going to have nearly as big of an impact. And it really just diminishes... Some of the, I mean, some of the best defensive players in the game. Look, there's no doubt about it that this is. Look, to me, you can argue that it's a need, but there's no doubt about it that the Lions left New York with better options on offense. Let's just call it as it is. I think T.J. Jones has the opportunity to be a steal. He's only six listed, but he's quick. Runs a four four eight around, so I think he's pretty nimble. He can give you a pat, you know, a catching option. You got. To me, the Lions now are sit with six, seven, eight pass legitimate pass catchers on this offense. So yeah, they don't address really a need, but one Lions fan could argue that look, the Lions game is offense. But to me, the scary part is their defense and their secondary is not that improved. So it's really what the Lions could have done or what they should have done to improve the secondary. The most important thing that I look at is that the Lions schedule, in my opinion, in 2014 is fairly difficult. Okay? So if I'm the Lions. I need to realize what we have. The NFC North is all improved. The Bears, you, I, I will bet the Bears will make the playoffs. The, I, think the, I think the Chicago Bears have enough to make the playoffs. You play Chicago twice. Green Bay is going to have Aaron Rodgers now healthy. So you know That's they're not going to— scary. It's going to be scary. You know they're not going to be 8-7-1. and one. They're not going to nimble into the playoffs and just beat Chicago in the, almost the last game of the season to roll into the playoffs. They're not going to be like that. In my opinion, Green Bay wins 10 games. And Mark Trestman and that Chicago team, they have the ability to win 10 games. So now you look at Minnesota, who is the only team that makes you question, but they still have an all-pro running back in Adrian Peterson. So to me, you've got legitimate offensive weapons all around the division, but the one thing that those teams have that the Lions don't is those teams have defensive players. And those teams have playmakers on the other side of the ball that isn't offense and the Lions don't they don't and I think you know you really have to understand what's the deal is Demonica and Sue is Sue gonna play more discipline and better under Jim Caldwell I think so I think so and I think is honestly I, Ziggy I think Hansel's we should gotta be healthy we do have to think about the change in coaching and how that's gonna affect yeah. the team coaching will give you two I think that I think the coaching will give them two more wins with that team I have, they will win nine games under Jim Caldwell. With this team, nine nine games. I say around nine. Nine I, that's games. That's what we said at the beginning of the year. I mean, coming in, I think all of us agreed right around nine. I'd say nine. But, you know, like you said, there are so many teams in that division that are 
if not guaranteed, I'd, I'd say Green Bay. I mean, there's no chance they don't make the playoffs, in my opinion. But, I mean, every other team is going to be competitive. I don't think Minnesota will get there, but they're going to be competitive. It's, look, it's going to be a tough division. Look, there's no doubt the division is going to be tough, but, look, when, I, when, I, when, when it's all said and done, it's really going to come down to defense and injuries, just like it is in the NFL. It, you know, if Peyton Manning gets injured for the Broncos, then that team is going to be different, obviously. So you got to really look at it. But to me, I think Matt Stafford's got to be improved, and he will be under, under Jim Caldwell. I think he will be a better quarterback. But when it comes down to it, I see no improvements defensively. I see no improvements, really, uh, in the secondary. I see, hopeful some improvement uh, on that D-line, playing more disciplined faith. But to me, the Lions missed the boat. And I think it's going to be a very sorry 2014 for the Lions. I don't think anybody can say that they didn't miss the boat, but they also have Joe Lombardi. You know, the old Saints QB coach is now Detroit's offensive coordinator. So who knows? Maybe he'll he'll help Ebron, you know. Um, But we'll see where it goes. Yeah, but they're still doing nothing on defense. And to me, that's the big thing. I mean, like I said, but they're just trying to outscore their opponents. And that doesn't work. Exactly. So we'll see where it goes. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. 517-432-3893. We're going to take a quick break, and we know we have some callers come in. We'll take the calls right after the break here on 88.9 FM. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a gang member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to coverage of Spartan sports like never before as we embrace the Spartan debate here on The Pack. That is... That is right, your host Fino back here on the Pact, and we promise everyone that we take some callers. We know our lines are blowing up right now, so we'll take those in a second. But if you want to embrace the Spartan debate, five one seven four three two three eight nine three is our number. We have Lou screening all our calls behind the glass. Our producer, myself, and Faith alongside John Yales, our social media guru, is here. He is stat checking me all day, so I don't sound that ridiculous on air. So thank you, John. And no Austin Goodman today. He is, um, believe it or not, studying. Austin Goodman is studying. Oh, come on. Uh, I'm just playing, Austin, uh, for a stats exam. But we're going to go to the calls right now. We'll hook the lines up. We'll go right now. You're on the pack, 88.9 FM. Who's calling? Hey, this is, this is uh, Michael Heiger calling in. Heiger, what's going on, bro? What's going on? I wanted to uh, talk a little bit regarding this Lions draft. And, uh, oh, man, I can only imagine. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to give my quick opinion on what I saw from pick one through seven, okay. rounds one through seven, and a lot of people are going to jump on the Ebron pick and immediately say, what needs does that fill? And I, to be honest, I was pretty shocked when the Lions went up and picked Ebron. I thought they should have gone defense, 
but this was a typical you and the rest Lions of the pick. Detroit fan community. Yeah, I think this was a typical Lions pick, though. I think from I think he was at the top of their board from the beginning of the draft, and maybe if a couple of guys might have fallen, like a Mike Evans or even a Sammy Watkins, then they yeah, but Mike Evans made wasn't made them, falling. They maybe would have gone after one of those guys, but yeah, yeah but I think that they were thinking offense all the way. Yo, okay, there's no doubt about that the Lions were picking offense because just when you think the Lions are smart, they bring in a great coach, someone to nurture Matthew Stafford and actually do what he did with Joe Flacco in Baltimore, you're thinking maybe the Lions are on the right track, right? But of course not, wrong. I think you go out and pick a tight end after Fourier has a great year, you re-sign Pettigrew for some reason, and then you draft Eric Ebron. To me, Higer, it dresses no needs whatsoever. You need a defense. This defense is completely lost. Their front seven is decent. I did like the, the Van Noy pick. I really did. But you know what? I okay. didn't like the Ebron pick because you could out you could go out and get a Darquez Denard, in my opinion, who is going to be an all-pro corner in this league. You missed the boat with that. And if for some reason, the Lions felt they needed to address a tight end. They they draft a tight end. So I guess the Lions are going to run three tight end sets now. It's a new formation, sweeping the nation. So I guess we'll have to prepare for that. I think the Lions missed the boat, bro. Yeah, and I mean, by his side, we really wanted the Lions to pick Darquez Denard. But I look back at some of those corners that have been taken – in the first round that the Lions have passed on, we really were like, how did they pass on those cornerbacks? You look at guys like D. Milner, Drake Kirkpatrick, Morris Claiborne. What have they really done in the NFL? And I, and I love Dark Lesnar, and I do think he's going to be really great. And I, and I think mostly because he fell with the perfect team. I think the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be the perfect fit for Dark But I look at the Lions' secondary now, and it's worse than it was last season. And oh. that's what worries me more than anything. They lost Delmas. The quarterback that they drafted, Nevin Lawson. Mm-hmm. He's 5'9". Yeah, he's 5'9". The oh, only corner that plays any significant role on this team that's over six feet is Rasheen Mathis. And he's been in the league 11 years. And that's what worries me. Is how are you going to cover these tall wide receivers? The NFL, the receivers in this game are getting taller. And I don't see how the Lions expect to have a deep, how they believe that they really have any kind of decent secondary right now. Look, to And Mayhew laughed it off at his press conference saying, you really think corners would need right now? And it is. And it's look, pretty scary my, to me that the Lions Look, Tiger, in my opinion, when a linebacker leads your team in interceptions, we have a reason for concern. And Absolutely. You, okay, and DeAndre Levy had a great year. I'm not taking anything away from him. You know, should be a pro bowler, yada, 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 yada. You know, we can have that argument another time. But, you know, you're ripping on my boy D. Milner. You know, he had three interceptions last year. I understand he had two picks in the last game of the season, but that is tied for any amount of corner that the Lions had last year. So you can argue that D. Milner is an improvement to any cornerback on the Lions right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at Darquez Denard, here's someone that can drastically improve your team. You don't do it, bro, and you miss the boat again. And I can guarantee you DeAndre Levy won't have six interceptions this year with a very difficult schedule because when you're looking where the Lions are playing – Monday night against the against the Giants. They're going to Carolina. Obviously, they're playing the Jets. You know, you're playing good teams. They're playing Atlanta at in London. You're playing an Arizona team that won 11 games. So you play New England. They have a difficult schedule. And against against a New England team, against an Arizona team, you're playing Chicago twice, Green Bay twice. You're playing um, a Giant team. Say what you want to say. The Giants are going to throw the football, and they don't have anyone to guard. They don't have anyone to guard Eli Manning's receivers. They don't have anyone to guard, you can argue, 
Geno Smith's receivers. And then you look at all these teams, Cam Newton and his squad, they got receivers. So to me, they missed the boat, and it's a disappointment, Higer. Thanks for the call, Brett. It really is. You play teams like the Packers. You play Aaron Rodgers twice a season, yep. and yet you don't address the secondary. And the biggest need for this team is being able to force turnovers, being able to get your offense back on the field, control time of possession, and you're not going to be able to do that without any size in your secondary. No doubt about it, Higer. I couldn't agree more, bro. Well, thanks for the call, and we'll look through to speak with you later, as you always do out here on the pack. Absolutely. Have a good one, guys. Thanks, Higer. Take care, buddy. So, look, Higer is so right. I mean, you can't argue, Faith, that the Lions do need, you know, secondary. We've addressed it. We're almost beating it to a horse. But, you know, it's a missed boat. It's a really a missed boat. But I do kind of want to switch the conversation um, to Johnny Manziel. And I think Johnny Manziel, Faith, is there. And, and, and we'll, we'll talk to Nard in a second. But I really want to get something off my chest with Johnny Manziel. You know, a lot of people said that, you know, Johnny Manziel is going to be terrible in the NFL. I know John Gruden somewhere in the corner just – excited for Johnny Manziel. Were you guys watching the NFL draft when you saw John Gruden's reaction? He's like, pick Manziel. Pick Manziel. It was ridiculous. I was like, all right, just pick him. I don't want to hear John Gruden speak anymore. But to be honest with you, I got a little something to get off my chest with Johnny Manziel. A lot of people come in for Johnny Manziel. They think he's going to be bad in the NFL. They don't think he's a good athlete. They think he's cocky. But guess what? I think he's confident. I wouldn't argue that he's that cocky. He's confident, Faith. I think confidence in the NFL is contagious, and I think he is a winner. And I think any any team Johnny Manziel plays on, he will lead that team and will that team to win. I completely disagree on that confidence. I believe he is confident, but I think he's pretty cocky, personally. But he's um, good. You, well, is he good? Yes, of course. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. Good. But I do think that the way he holds himself is a little bit interesting unnerving yeah i guess and uh i don't like his money signs i he's very very young oh don't show me that right I'm now showing <laughs> money in studio guys i i just don't i think he's gonna do something for the browns i definitely do but they i'm not a big fan he, of him they announced he was the backup today do you have a problem with the browns saying that he's the backup to msu's own brian hoyerloo i don't you know but the thing i want to talk about johnny a little bit you know i i kind of agree with faith i kind of agree with you i think he's cocky I think that it can be a problem. I don't think that it necessarily has to be a problem. Some of that can be a good thing, especially when, I mean, you have the skill set that he does. Because, I mean, let's face it, the guy is a tremendous athlete, and he is a tremendous quarterback, and I think he's going to succeed in the NFL. The problem that I could see happening, though, is getting drafted to a team like Cleveland. I mean, everybody kind of figured that he wouldn't go to a high-flying team that really has a lot of chances. But how long is it going to take for Johnny to be in an environment where – I mean, they're probably not going to make the playoffs next year. I, As a backup, whatever, I don't care. How long is it going to take for Johnny being in a backup role, perhaps a season, perhaps more, being on a losing team? How long is it going to take for that cockiness to boil over to just selfishness and then bring down the whole team, which I could see happening. And he's definitely not used to that. You know, he's been the star, you know, uh, at Texas A&M, and it's just we'll see where he plays out because, honestly, his cockiness might – overcompensate for his athletic ability. Look, there's no doubt about it that you can argue that he's cocky, even though I don't think so. But to me, here's the thing. Johnny Manziel's a winner, and anything he does, he wins. Okay, It's it's very similar to a Tim Tim Tebow situation, but the difference with Johnny Manziel versus Tim Tebow is that he has mechanics. Okay, And Johnny Manziel is a legitimate NFL prospect when Tim Tebow was not. 
Okay, so when I look at that, look, Johnny Manziel is the top jersey seller in sales. So his stardom is through the roof already. But you put him on Cleveland. He's putting fans in the seats. It's a good business and PR move if you're Cleveland. But when I'm looking at it and I'm looking at everything when it's said and done, Johnny Manziel will lead Cleveland to a more successful team and better record than before he arrived. And that, to me, is not debatable. I don't think that's debatable either, but that doesn't mean that they're going to turn into a winner. Just because Johnny Manziel is an individual is a winner. Uh, that's true, and that's the thing. That is exactly my point, or what I'm going to get to here. Cleveland's a team, I mean, just like every team that's ever been in Cleveland. Yeah, they're, a t- so they're a team that, I mean, they've never really pushed it to the next level. And if you get Johnny, you need to find him pieces. You need to do it. I'm not saying this year. I'm not saying next year. I'm saying if you're going to draft this guy and you want him to be your franchise down the line, you need to build your team around it. And honestly, Cleveland has had a lot of trouble building a franchise, no matter who they have in there. And I think if they kind of drag their feet a little bit with Johnny, it could be a really terrible situation. You know, I'm so curious how bad Cleveland is as a sports city. Yales, can you do me a favor? Can you check the last time that a Cleveland sports team won a championship? How about an Ohio sports team other than Ohio State? Um, let's just do Cleveland for now. All right. Okay. When Yales, when you have that, just let me know because I'm very curious to know what it is because everyone talks about how bad of a sports town Cleveland is. How bad are they? I mean, that's. Well, I have a question to you guys. Do, are you guys shocked that he went 22nd? Oh, shocked. I thought he was going way higher than that. Yeah, I was pretty surprised. But at the same you time, can't... you know, everybody's worried. They, it, it, the thing is, with a guy like that, there's no doubt that his skill, I mean, you can't question yeah. it. You cannot question it, but it is kind of that character factor. I'm not saying he doesn't have character. Maybe, I mean, he's still a young kid, you know? That's going to change. It changes with everybody in every sport. especially. But, you know, with guys with that much potential, it's it's you're wary as a GM to pick somebody up like that that early in the rounds because it puts a ton of pressure on him. Not that there isn't going to be a lot of pressure on him either way, but if you pick him, say, top 10, much more pressure. Now he kind of eases into 22. Now he's there, you know, he, he kind of, you know, hopefully checks himself a little bit and says, you know, maybe I'm not, you know, top 10. I, I should actually, I need to work, which he does, like every player does. But, you know, I think it, Look, every GM is wary. That's all I'm saying. They're which, wary of taking him high and putting too much pressure on the kid. I understand that. But I think what Cleveland is doing is you're alleviating some pressure by telling him, Look, you're Johnny backup right now. Brian Hoyer is going to be our starter, but how realistic is that coming off an ACL injury? Are they I, really going to bench it for the whole season? Probably not. I would. I mean, I almost so, guarantee not. But you know, I think it's still kind of a smart move. You know, keep the kid's head small. You know, don't let him get too big. And you know, I think so far they're handling it well. I, I'm not saying this is going to blow up. I just I'm saying that it has massive potential to blow up. I'm just curious because Faith, you know, she kind of sprung it around to us where do you think Johnny Manziel was picked too low? I'm curious to know, Faith, did you think Johnny Manziel should have went higher in the draft or did he go too high at 22 or you thought he should have been a second rounder or maybe third, fourth? I don't know. I think he was fine where he was at. Okay, so 22nd overall. All right. I mean, mean, I'm really just curious to know. What about Darquez Denard? Let's spin it here. Him going 24. Were you shocked that he went 24 to the Bengals? Uh, you know, I thought it was, I honestly, I mean, right around where I expected. I didn't think he was going to go early first round. Uh, you know, as much as I would have liked to see him in a Lions jersey, being from Michigan State, I, God, didn't, that been great. I didn't see it. I mean, there's no way that he was going 10. You know, funny story, I'm watching the draft at Pepino's, okay? And as I'm watching the draft, I'm seeing Johnny, I'm sorry, uh, Darquez Denard is dropping. And I also saw Johnny Menzel dropping. There's a, a group of a, a Cleveland Browns fans sitting next to me. I'm like, wow. I'm a Mets fan. I felt bad for them, and that's big. But to me, 
I'm watching Darquez Denard just slip in the draft. Slips by 10. Then I hear Rico Beard. Rico Beard told me, he goes, he goes, Fino, without a doubt, he's going, if he doesn't go 10 to the Lions, he's going 15 to the Steelers. And he dropped from Pittsburgh. And then the Jets are sitting pretty at 18. I'm like, he's going to Jersey. He's a Jet. I'm thinking that. Because I know the Dolphins aren't going to pick him at 19. Because the Dolphins are just, that team is, that team is something else when they, when they draft. You think the Lions are bad? That team is bad. Um, so at 18, I'm thinking the Jets are going to pick him. The Jets go safety. Okay, so when the Jets go safety, I'm like, all right, at least they're going secondary. I know they needed safety or a cornerback. I thought he was for sure going 18. And once he didn't go to 18 to the Jets, I'm thinking, where is this guy going to slip? And it was crossing my mind, and I'm curious to know what you guys thought. Did you legitimately think that Dark West and R was going to fall out of the first round? I thought about it. But when he went to 24 at, at Cincinnati, that is a perfect situation for him. They're losing their defensive coordinator in Don Zimmer, but they have a defensive-minded head coach in uh, Marvin Lewis, the second-longest tenured head coach in the NFL. Talk about a stable situation. Mike Brown loves. The Brown family loves Marvin Lewis. So you know his future is secure. In Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a playoff team, although they don't do much with it. They are a playoff team. They're a successful franchise, Faith. You know Darquez Denard is going to excel at 24. No, I completely agree. I think where he fell is very, very good for him. I was a little bit shocked, like it you said. It almost humbled him. Oh, no, it did, yeah. But like I, when I saw Detroit pass him up at 10, I was like, all right, Pitt, 15. Didn't happen. Steelers, didn't happen. Kept yeah. going. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I'm curious to know what you thought, Lou. You know, the beautiful thing about Darquez is that he doesn't need to be humbled. And that's why, I mean, he's so much, he's obviously different than Johnny Manziel in more than one way. But, I mean, I'd say different in the f- character, you know. And Darquez is a guy, we had the pleasure of talking to his mother. And, you know, that that's really right. kind of puts every on the pact here. That was a few months ago, you know. I remember that. And it, it really was a pleasure. And it kind of puts everything into perspective. And you can understand now why Darquez has succeeded coming in as a two-star recruit, if I'm not mistaken. No, you're, he was a two-star out of Georgia. And making, I mean, ending up winning the Jim Thorpe Award and then going first round in the NFL. I mean, it's tremendous stuff. And now he's getting, I guarantee his mindset is he's coming into Cincinnati, you know, and he's he's got to start over and he's got to just work hard. And Darquez is going to succeed because of that attitude. I guarantee it. And, Fino, like you said earlier, he's got these older guys to look up to on the team. You know, he's got Newman, Pac-Man Jones, um, you know, and they're also aging, too. So they're being injury prone, obviously, like Leon Hall coming off an Achilles injury. So he's going to have to step up to the plate. But I know it's a good good situation. Denard also said he was like, I'm going to soak up all this information like a sponge. These guys are knowledgeable. They know what they're doing. They're veterans. So It'll be interesting to see how he plays out with the Bengals. Kira, well, just you know, a little while ago on the Pact, I uh, wanted to know when was the last time a Cleveland sports team won a championship in their respective sport. Our social media guru slash statistician John Yales has bailed us out. So, Johnny, what do you got for us? So, the last time Cleveland has won any championship was 1964, the Browns. Wow. Um, so, that, yeah, that was a little bit a while ago. Um, they did appear in a couple championships and Super Bowls after that, but um, that's pretty much it. Before that, Indians won in 48. That's the last time they won. They've been in it in 54, 95, 97, and they lost those three And the times. Cavs have never won anything. The Cavs have never won anything. They've been, they've been to a lot of finals, um, a lot of Eastern Conference finals with LeBron, but that's about it. And then they had a short hockey team for a little bit, but no hockey is relevant Man. in Cleveland. Yeah, well— 
Yeah, there's not even hockey, and the only hockey team in Ohio is Columbus, and they're a new team, and they haven't won a Stanley Cup ever. So that is pretty sad, but I expected that. Sorry, Cleveland fans. Maybe Johnny Football will bring you some hope. We'll take a quick break here on the pack. When we come back, we are talking NHL playoffs in that discussion. Lou DiVizio is screaming for his Bruins. I honestly hope Montreal wins just to spite Lou, but we'll take it to the break here on 88.9 FM. You're listening to The Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. Smoking Helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that smoking? Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. And now back to the Pact here on 88.9 FM. That is right. We're back on the Pact. Your host, Fino, alongside Faith and Lou. John Yales, our social media guy and our statistician, is with me on my left. 517-432-3893 is our number. If you want to embrace the Spartan debate, feel free to do so, and you can give us a quick call. And whatever topic you want to talk about, we're here to embrace that with you. But... We move on to our next segment. It's NHL playoffs. Our hockey guy, Lou DeVizio, is with us. No Austin Goodman today to really say how terrible Detroit has played. Um, but guess what, Lou? I'm curious to know what you think about this Bruins-Montreal Canadiens series. It's knotted up. It's a 2-2 series. We're going to Boston. Game 5. I think uh, face-off already happened. Game 6. And actually, for those of game you six, interested, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I said game it's five. in Montreal. Montreal actually just scored on a turnover in Boston's end wow. uh, by so I totally botched that. Kevin Miller. So that was kind of rough. Correction. 3-2 Boston. I'm th- I'm, see, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking that LA Kings game tonight. I think that's going to be, gonna be a, a beauty, too. Yeah, that's game 5. So, yes, it's game 6 in Montreal at the Bell Center. 3-2 series. Boston can close it out. But they're down one nothing with about 16 minutes left in the first period. So... Um, good game on NBC Sports Network. Um, CBC also, for those of you uh, in the and Michigan near Windsor area. Yeah, in your Canadian market. So, Lou, I, this has been a great series to me. I think this has been the second best series in these semifinals. Um, because I think, to be honest with you, that L.A. series has been something else. It's been a sneaky series out east because, you know, there's not really a big focus on it. But, man, that Boston series is something else. Tuka Rask, how about him? Absolutely, you know. I mean, that series has been dictated for goal te- by goaltending rather for the most part. Uh, I thought for 
the first four games, excluding Game 5, I thought Carey Price was the much better goaltender, even in his losses. Uh, yeah, Tuca kind of looked, I mean, he looked a little shaky. The saves that he made, yeah. kind of off balance. But, you know, he's found his game. And Boston, when they have a guy rolling like that, he, they're pretty unstoppable. I think Game 5 really impressed me. The Bruins just came out, and that power play was incredible. It was clicking you know, on all. Yeah, absolutely. And the Bruins, it took five years to score a power play goal in the playoffs against Montreal. And I think that's incredible. And here they go. They score two, and they go, they score one, and 32 seconds later, score another one. Maybe the Rangers need to take tips from the Bruins on how to score on the power play. I know they scored two power play goals in their last game in Game 6, but... The Rangers have been awful on the power play. Absolutely. You know, uh, I want to talk about <laughs> the second Bruins power play goal, the Jerome McGinley goal, yeah, if that was you, anyone saw that. Tory Krug's backhand pass out of there, the no-look backhand pass, just a tremendous play. We're not talking about Tory Krug, and he's having a very good playoff. I mean, He had a great series against Detroit, and he's having a great series against Montreal, is he not? He is. And, you know, I watching him at MSU, I knew he was a good player, but, I mean, and I'm sure everyone in the NHL feel, felt the same way until now. Other than Boston scouts, you know, no one thought he could do what he's been doing. And it's really been unbelievable. I mean, he's an elite puck mover. And at this level, that's unheard of for an undrafted guy with his size. He's a point man on their number one power play unit. It's unbelievable. And, I mean, his breakouts, his feet are unbelievable. Every single pass he makes, tape to tape, crisp. I mean, and no pressure. He doesn't let the pressure phase him, which is probably the biggest uh, detriment for any defenseman coming out of their own zone. I mean, he's got major ice time. In this series, he has around 100 minutes of ice time. Just in this series alone, four points. I mean, he's minus one and plus minus, but that first game, he had that big goal. Okay, and then the game two, he's got an assist. Game three, he has an assist. Game four, he's stopped. Game five, he's got an assist. So to me, he's contributing all cylinders, and he's shooting the puck. In game two, he had seven shots on goal. That's unbelievable seven. from a defenseman, and that's the thing. I mean, he is he is not afraid to fire the puck, and you've seen that a few times. He took I, he I, took two bad penalties that game, but still seven shots on goal. He's firing. He's confident. Absolutely, uh, but I want to talk about you know the game five start for Boston. Uh, okay. I it was kind of obvious to me and. A few other people I know, I, I'm not a big Pierre Maguire fan, but he pointed it out. Off the opening faceoff, even before the puck was dropped, you know, Brad Marchand, he's a guy who hasn't had a great series. He's a big player for Boston. Which is pretty, pretty disappointing. Boston. Absolutely it is. But, you know, he, he still has that heart and he plays with that edge. And off the before the opening draw, kind of takes down Brendan Gallagher in a little tussle. Then a quick whistle. Next faceoff, uh, Claude Julien th- switches it up. Throws out the Lucic Aginla line. Aginla's pushing on a guy off the draw. You know, they had that mm-hmm. fire with them. They were really going. And, you know, you could tell from the drop that the Bruins really had their game back in Game 5. There's two guys in this playoff that have really surprised me. You know, I'm not going to mention, like, Jonathan Taves is at a great series. I'm not going to say that. But there's two guys in this play- in this overall NHL playoff that have really surprised me. Riley Smith and Boston is one of them. How the Riley Smith has played incredible. The way what he's doing in this playoff, he's got – I know he's got – three points or whatever he's got in this playoff, but he's scoring. He's got three goals. And for Riley Smith, I did not expect him in this series to have three goals alone in this series. He's been big. And Brian Bickle for Chicago is another one who had a pretty rough regular season, but coming off that big deal, he's got six goals in the playoffs. I can't say enough good things about Brian Bickle. I'd like to talk about Bickle in Chicago a little bit. Okay. You know, uh, Brian Bickle, he's a guy who really is built for the playoffs. He's a big guy who plays with heart and – he he just shows up in those big games, and it's been pretty evident. Not only has 
he been uh, I, I don't know if he's the leading goal scorer, but he's certainly up there for Chicago. I think he no, has he, at least five, Chicago. maybe six. No, he's got six goals. Six goals. You know, but he's also their top hitter. And, I mean, that's just tremendous. Nonstop he's moving his feet, and that's a thing that he didn't do in the regular season. Whether or not that had to do with fatigue from, you know, making it to the finals last year, who knows. But, you know, now he's moving his feet, now he's laying the body, and he really, I mean, he's getting to the dirty areas, and that's what he's so good at. And that's what you need to win playoff games. Look, there's no doubt about it. You mentioned it's such a difficult combination to get hits and to get hitting. And this is a guy that only had 15 points in the regular season. Okay, so he struggled. I know. I think he battled some injuries. Only played fifty nine games, but he's got eleven goals in the regulars. Eleven goals in fifty nine games, Brian Pickle. Yeah, it's pretty. Okay, and then in eleven games in the postseason, he's got six. So Brian Bickle has come up in a massive situation. He's got nine points in his playoffs. He's plus three, and he's got six penalty minutes. So he's not even taking dumb penalties, which he's prone to. Absolutely, you know. And but this isn't new for him. I mean, when they won the cup last he's year, been at the he was before. the guy. He was the guy. I mean, he was the guy. And, Lou, you mentioned it. He was the guy. And in that first series that, that Chicago played in, look, only Bick only had three points. In this series against, against Minnesota alone, five games, six points. So he's made a difference. I mean, three points in game two, two goals and two points in game one. He had that goal, that big goal in game five. So, look, when you I look at it, uh, Minnesota might be dead in the rice here, in my opinion, because if Bickle plays like this, and Crawford has been average, because he's not making the mistakes. If you look at Marc-Andre Fleury, he's making the big mistake. Absolutely. That backhander, that, I think it was Carl oh, Haglund. That was disgusting. You know, was it Carl Haglund with that goal? Yeah, it was. Yeah, Haglund had that goal, and it was a backhander went, what was it, six hole, or whatever it was? 14 inches stick side, I believe. Yeah, it was right under the blocker or something. Yeah. It was that goal at net, you know, that's the that's a puck that needs to be saved. And then you look at the other side of the ice and you see Henrik Lunk was making a marvelous save with the glove. I mean, he's had an unbelievable series. Yeah. So I you know, I I don't want to like switch topics and be all over the place here, but my point is Corey Crawford has been average, but he's not making the big mistake. And look, Marc Andre Fleury has been, in my opinion, below average, and that's why his team is knotted up game seven at Console Energy Center. Yeah, and let's talk. Let's stay on the Chicago Minnesota because you said Minnesota's dead in the water. I, think I disagree. The, I think they're dead. I completely disagree. I know last week I picked Chicago in six. I, I don't Did know you anymore. Did you not tell me in between the break that Ilya Bizgalov has been nothing, nothing short of disappointing? Uh, I did say I didn't say nothing short of disappointing. I'm putting, I said, word, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but you basically said that I don't like him, and I don't think he's a good goalie, but he's playing well, and that's what a a decent goalie who's got head problems can do for you, which he definitely does. He's got problems upstairs. I mean, they, they have been dealt a very crappy card with with their goal. Absolutely. Situation. I mean, they have four goalies who are NHL goalies with Briggs-Galoff, Kemper, Backstrom, and uh, Josh Harding. That's going to be know, a very fun offseason. Absolutely. I mean, who's going to deal with that? But the thing is, let's get back to this series. Mm-hmm. I think game six, Minnesota is like night and day when they're home and away. And they're going to be they home for well game six. I, they play better than well. They play unbelievable. That 4 nothing game, granted, they were all in the third period, but they were dominating from puck yeah, drop. Chicago played poorly. I'll give you that. But, you know, Minnesota is not dead in the water. I'm not counting them out, and I think that they win game six. Okay. You know what? Th- th- fine. Fine. But I, 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 you know, we're, we're going to make a bet on the pact here. How about this? Let's do it. I'm going to buy you dinner at Pepino's. I'm <laughs> going to buy you dinner at Pepino's if, if – Okay, if the, if the Wild force Game 7, I'll buy you dinner at Pepino's. I'm totally in. What, what do I have to do? <laughs> Nothing. If Chicago wins, you buy me dinner. All right. Let's do it. Dinner 
Angry Orchard. The bet is set. The bet is John's set. John's got it. John, you got that down? John's got it down. Faith, I'm curious to know, who do you think wins that series? All right, I'm, I actually think I might go with Lou on this one. I, I don't think you can count out the Wild at all. That's not what I asked you. I asked you, who do you think is going to win the series? The series? I think Blackhawks might win. Uh, I, like I still Black think Hawks. Chicago's winning the that, series. All I'm saying is Minnesota's got you game just six. Think, you just think it's going to be a game seven. Absolutely. And they played, I think, game five was not a bad game for them. I thought they played well. It was their best game on road ice the whole playoff, in my opinion. Yeah, but to me, that 4 no- that four nothing loss in game in game three was just kind of a fluke because you mentioned all the, all the goals were in the fourth period. It's kind of like when it rains, it pours kind of ordeal. Well, I, the way I saw it watching that game, it was it was kind of like the Flood Bears just opened. Yeah, you know, it, Minnesota had been pressing all game. They had a great game. Backstrom Crawford made, played uh, well. Briscoe uh, only made 19 saves that game. Yeah, because Minnesota, I mean, you have to put some of that on Minnesota. Granted, like I said, Duncan Keith had a rough game. Chicago didn't play well. But it, Minnesota forces a lot of that with their speed. And that third line, you know, Minnesota, unfortunately for them, one of the most unpublicized teams in the NHL, if not the most. Minnesota? Yes. And, you know, I'm a guy who prides myself on knowing everybody in the league, fourth-liners, grinders. I had never heard of half the guys on this team. I swear to God. Because that's where they make their money, Lou. It's unbelievable. But that third line with Halla, I think it's Halla, uh, and Matt Cook, and I, I can't Matt even remember the, th- the third guy, 14, Fontaine, Justin Fontaine. yep. yep. They have had such an impact. And if you look around with teams who compete in the playoffs and succeed, third line is the line that gets it done. Oh. Boston, everybody. Oh, without a doubt. If you look if you look at okay, if you look at the Devils playoff run in two thousand twelve, and I bring up my Devils for a reason. And ninety five. Oh, obviously, but let's just go more recent for two thousand twelve. That third and especially that fourth line, okay, Carter, Gianta, um Carter, Gianta, and I forget who the other guy was, but that that third line was killing it. Ryan Carter was scoring in all cylinders in that Stanley Cup uh, final, okay? And coming off that Rangers series, that brutal Eastern Conference finals, Carter and Bernier. Bernier. How could I forget Bernier? Bernier, Carter, Gianta. Those three guys were grinders, and they made, and they made something happen. So I look at here Minnesota is, yeah, they're forgetful. No one's really talking about them. But look, they're not going to win this series. And if they win game six, so I buy you dinner. But the thing is, I don't think Minnesota wins game six. I think Chicago takes it, ends this thing, and just gets it over with. And I think they'll ultimately end up playing Anaheim. We'll see. Uh, let's talk about Anaheim with the short time that we have. Anaheim mm-hmm. King Series. It's what, kind of funny, you know, the first two games. What about Johnny Hockey? Unbelievable. Yes. Johnny Gibson. I mean, what a story Was there. He 20 years 20 old. 20 years old. I, it's unbelievable, you know, especially, I just th- I think the most unbelievable part is the lack of confidence that Bruce Boudreau has shown in Jonas Hiller. And it, I mean, it's evident. If you're going to throw in a kid who's played four games in the NHL, and then all of a sudden he's starting when you have a guy who has, I mean, John Gibson, he's four games. He's 20 years old. And then you throw away Jonas Hiller, who's, you know, he's a seasoned he, vet. I, I think he's getting a nod tonight, is he not? He is. Yeah, Gibson I mean, he has hand. a shutout. You can't. You got to go with oh, that. Oh, he's 20 years old. Check this out. A little fact, though, on the Bruins-Canadian series. John Yale, our stats guru, just let me know. The team to score first has won the previous five games in the Canadians-Bruins series. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's around 90% of the teams this entire second round, if not closer to 100 it, it, of, of all teams have won the game who scored first. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, so, so I'm not feeling gonna, too Are we going to be seeing, seeing a game seven at the Boston Garden? It's very possible. You know, like I said from day one, I think Montreal is Boston's biggest obstacle. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes seven, but, you know, I'm going to head out of here and 
Watch some CBC. That's right. Well, CBC. You like Jimmy Houston, don't you? I love Jimmy Houston He's and, great. of course, Coach's Corner in between the first and second. Ah, uh, you got to love that. But let me ask you this. With the quick time we have, has your opinion changed and your prediction changed about the Kings and Ducks series? Uh, you know, honestly, I forget who I picked because it's kind of been a toss-up for me. Uh, I, I, know, I think I, know, I went with I'm, L.A. You went with L.A., I'm pretty sure. I, I'm, I went with Anaheim. I'm sticking with Anaheim. I'm really sticking with them. Even though Gibson, and I'm going with, you know, Gibson. You know, honestly, the addition to Gibson kind of, in my eyes, makes Anaheim look a little bit better They're to swaying. me. Because I think Jonathan Quick has been pretty disappointing. He has. You know, for but Jonathan, he's, for, he's been like an on and off switch. The first two games in that San Jose series, terrible. Like you said before the show, around 800 save percentage. That's disgusting. That's, yeah, it was 81 Like last game, you know. So we'll see. I think 11, Johnny Quick will come back and he'll have a great game. Nine saves, 11 shots on goal. Just just nibble on that for a second. So the Ducks weren't really doing much in that series. So, you know, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. The Ducks and the Kings play at 10 o'clock tonight on NBC Sports Network. The Canadians and Bruins are playing right now. The Canadians have a one nothing lead mid-first way in the first period. Well, it's good having John Yales here behind the glass. Or not really behind the glass, but he kind of brought him over here. So, Johnny, thanks for joining us here. Good day. We'll be back here every Monday from 7 to 8. Hopefully we'll have Austin Goodman back, Faith. Um, Faith, what are you watching tonight? Any sports? Absolutely. I'll, I'll probably watch the game with Lou. Oh, a little hockey going on here. Lou, you watching that game, I assume? CBC. You yep. got it. You, know, you got it. I'll be checking in on that. I'll be checking on a little basketball. For myself, Faith, Lou, and Johnny Yales to my left, I am your host, Fino, signing off here on the pack, where every Monday night from 7 to 8, we embrace the Spartan debate. Take care, guys. Have a great Monday and enjoy the beautiful weather.